really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more all about the world of rugby. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it, all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. Well, this week, the show is coming to you from San Antonio, Texas, where we're staying with the in-laws for the holiday. I once again take a moment to reflect on how lucky we are and all the bounty we have in our lives. Although the past week has been a very difficult one for me, but I'm going to touch on that in just a bit. For now, Boxing Day is drawing to a close. I've got a big fat mug of tea, and I'm trying to figure out how on earth I'm going to get all our new Lego back to Boston. So, on top of everything else, it's fair to say there was a lot of action this weekend, so let's get right to the Yule edition of the show. So, we start, as always, with current updates, and you know what? This week, the current updates are very personal indeed, and I apologize for the heaviness and promise not to dwell on it here, but the current update this week can only be the tragic and unexpected passing of one of my greatest friends, Jess, or The Button, as she was universally known, as in cute as a. Um, Jess was a powerhouse of a woman in the tiniest package, proving throughout her too short life, unequivocally, that it's not the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog. Jess lived her life unapologetically, always on her own terms, and was an absolute ray of sunshine. To everyone she ever met, her smile, her laugh, her bright, high voice, and more than anything, her ability to squeeze every drop of fun out of every single moment, it held a deep place in my heart, a heart that has been shrunk several sizes in the wake of this news. Button, you were like an angel made of barbed wire, and you could never know how much sadness has been left in the wake of your absence. My dear friend, I miss you so much. Yes, Isa, I think shifting gears a bit, that it actually is good news this week. Um, I said a couple of weeks ago that World Rugby were considering some new rules and or rules changes, and you know what? They did it. So quoting here from the BBC, quote, a countdown timer on scrums and kicks at goal will be introduced in January to help speed up the game, says World Rugby. The shot clock means players will have 90 seconds to take a conversion and a minute for penalties or the kick will be disallowed. New rules also state scrums have to be started within 30 seconds and lineouts formed without delay, with penalty kicks to be given for time-wasting. The rules come into place on the 1st of January. A clock for kicks at goal is already in operation in France's top 14. World Rugby's director of rugby, Phil Davies, said, World Rugby, member unions, and competitions will work with broadcasters and match hosts to implement on-screen stadia and broadcast shot clocks for penalties and conversions to ensure referees, players, and fans can view the countdown, mirroring what happens in the French National League and Sevens. World Rugby hopes the changes will improve the flow of the game and reduce the reliance on television match official reviews, which add to stoppages in the action. Water carriers will also be only permitted to enter the field uh, of play when a try is scored. Only in a game with no tries shall a natural stoppage be used, added Davies. 
all good news to me, you know, looking forward to how it all pans out starting only next week. And then, of course, for our thoughts of the week, well, apparently, it's finally become official. Finn Russell has signed with Bath for next year, and quoting from an article here, quote, now that the worst kept secret in rugby is out and his move to Bath next season has been officially announced, Russell moves further up the monetary pecking order. Uh, it's been quite a time for Russell. Left out of the Scotland squad for the autumn in the latest round of difficulties with his international coach, Gregor Townsend, only to return and put in the kind of stellar performances that made Townsend look utterly daft for effectively calling him the fourth best fly half in Scotland. Then he became the fa a father for the first time. Then he signed one of the biggest playing contracts ever written in the history of the sport. Russell has money, but what he doesn't have is lots of winner's medals. In his entire career, and he's 30 now, he has won one major trophy, the 2015 Pro 12. The move to wrestling was supposed to address that, but it hasn't. It's provided some fantastic moments, individual and collective, but wrestling have failed in Russell's time there. For such a talented squad put together at vast expense, a losing final in the Champions Cup in 2020 is the closest they've come to winning a, t a big title in Russell's time. They're well in the hunt in the top 14 this season, but their European prospects are in mortal peril, having already lost two out of two. Russell will feel financially fulfilled, but if elite sport is about more than, uh, more than money, then one trophy more than seven years ago is a dismal return on his talent. You could put together a mesmeric uh, highlight reel of wondrous things he does on a rugby field. We can wax lyrical about, about him being a gloriously imaginative outlier in a game now dominated by muscle, but the bottom line is he has only one piece of silver to show for it. What are the chances of him improving on that when he moves to Bath? Financially, it's a no-brainer for him. Rugby-wise, the jury is out. Bath are one of England's greatest clubs with a European Cup win in their cabinet, a big support, plans to re redevelop their home ground, and an incredible legacy of attacking rugby. The Bath we see nowadays is not at the races. Uh, last season, they finished 13th and last. Uh, they failed to make the top four in six of the last seven seasons and haven't won a premiership title since 1996. Currently, they're 8th of 11 in the Premiership with 3 wins from 9, as well as 2 defeats from 2 in Europe. They rank 10th of 11th for points scored and 11th of 11th for tries. No wonder they want Russell's ingenuity. The club has stagnated for the longest time. But what can the Scot do about it? That's the intriguing question. Bath's coach is the South African Johan van Graan, who moved to the wreck at the beginning of this season after five years as head coach at Munster. Van Graan is a good man, unfailingly polite, and a fine technical coach. He's also risk-averse. He's been schooled in the culture of bockball, 10-man rugby, bludgeon over rapier. Uh, Russell was recalled to the Scotland squad during the autumn, having initially been omitted. He had some good results with Munster. That's a really strange trans transition in this article. Uh, but the rugby was largely dull. Or, quote, turgid nonsense, unquote, as former Munster player Keith Wood called it in Van Grand's last season in Ireland. Uh, there's no point in talking about Munster's attack. It doesn't exist, said Wood. <laughs> Truckloads of former Munster players criticized Van Graan in his years with the province. One of them said his style belonged to, quote, the Dark Ages. It's like 25 years ago, unquote. That's an exaggeration. Uh, but it spoke to the general air of frustration, the lack of excitement. Even the most measured observers will, of his reign would say that he was okay and nothing more that they didn't really go anywhere under his coaching. The early signs at Bath aren't wholly encouraging either, which makes the Russell signing so fascinating. Uh, part of the reason why the fly half has had such a, t a testy relationship with Townsend is because of what he sees as a prescriptive game plan, a lack of freedom to play it as Russell sees it. Uh, that's why he's played so well at Rassing. He's 
he was given license to play. It might not have resulted in trophies, but he's thrilled the locals for years. Unless Van Grand's change, unless uh, Van, Van Grand changes the way he views this game, there's so many errors in this article. I apologize, I didn't do a better job proofreading it. Holy crap! Uh, unless Van Grand changes the way he views the game from conservative uh, conservatism to a style more in keeping with one of the most creative players on the planet, you have to wonder how this is going to end up. So that, of course, does bring us to our reviews, and what a great set of reviews we have this weekend, starting with URC. So this year for round 11 and our traditional holiday derbies, it was three regional showdowns on Friday, beginning with Sharks versus Lions in what I've dubbed the Surf and Turf Bowl, and man, oh man, what a freaking squad the Sharks have. It, it doesn't seem fair that a team could have Sia Khaleesi, Makazoli Maupimpi, and Lacanio Am. I mean, did they enter a cheat code or something? They looked like they were going to absolutely run away with this one, but that early momentum kind of dissipated, and it was a surprising 12-7 at the break. Oh, quick side note. A few of you got in touch uh, to protest my selection of Verna Koch as the Diamond in the Ruck award winner last week after he got a yellow card for suplexing, let's face it, an opposing player, and I agree, I probably should have thought twice, so... I will excuse myself simply by saying I was ensorcelled by his ridiculous supermodel looks. I'm going to try not to include players who've recently committed assaults in award selection going forward. My bad. Anywho, even I had to roll my eyes at how slow this game got in the second half. Looks like the new rules can't be implemented soon enough. You know, it, it's frustrating when the ref says at scrum time, okay, let's go, we got to keep this moving, and then nobody does anything. Eventually, Khaleesi came in off the bench, and that seemed to somehow provide a spark. Sharks suddenly pulling away and ultimately winning rather easily, with the visitors blanked in the second half, 37-7 all told. Yikes. Uh, Stormers versus Bulls was next, and I actually saved this one until Christmas night. Just a final little present to open by the flickering light of the tree. The lineups, to me, looked heavily stacked in Stormers' favor, but with the hype from the comms leading into it, I wondered if it would be close after all. It took less than 90 seconds for the first handbags to come out, and looking back on this weekend in general, it reminded me of working in retail, where the holidays just bring out the nasty in people of all stripes. An early yellow against the Bulls boded ill, and Stormers looked poised to continue rolling in this competition. Uh, Bulls beat them twice last year in the first iteration of the URC, but Stormers have won three in a row since then, for whatever that's worth. Uh, Damian Vilemsa, he was on fire in this one and had the comms calling him potentially, quote, the new darling of the Springboks, unquote. High if weird praise indeed. After 20 minutes, it was another yellow card against the guests. This as part of a penalty try, but to their credit, they buckled down and scored next, brilliantly keeping within three in Cape Town. Another side note, they mentioned <laughs> they mentioned Vili LaRue at one point, and I swear, whenever I hear his name, all I can think is, Vili LaRue, Vili LaRue, willy-nilly silly all back. And whenever he gets pinged for a penalty, I just want the mic to catch him saying, oh, bother. Anyway, let me dream, people. Either way, it was tied at 13 at the break, and the second half, though, completely different story. Stormers getting three tries within 15 minutes. Bulls were looking at a climb as steep as Table Mountain. While it was a valiant effort, the Stormers would nevertheless prevail with a bonus point, 37-27. to 27. Fun stuff. So, then, it was time to kick off this year's 1872 Cup with Glasgow at home for Edinburgh. Edinburgh began the evening in possession of the Cup, with the Warriors hoping to take that critical first step to reclaiming it in the cold and rain. Duhon was back for Edinburgh, which is a good sign, but both squads were, let's say, intriguing 
in their selection, but probably pretty equally matched. Um, Boff, he missed the, his first two attempts at goal to make things weirder. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen that. It was Jack Dempsey, face cracked open and smiling like a serial killer who finally grabbed the first points in this one, and there wasn't much else going on, I gotta say. You know, the, the game itself, it was, it was a bit boring, actually. I think the rain really badly affected both teams. Uh, Pergos, he got a quick tongue, tongue lashing within three minutes of coming on, but Edinburgh did finally get on the board almost three quarters of the way in. Uh, Van der Vaart, he kicked a beauty to get a lose, losing bonus point, but it was the Warriors making a statement at home 16-10, to 10, and I can't help but think of those six points that Buffelli left on the table in the first half. So, Connacht versus Ulster was next, and I'm, st- I'm still laughing. I just don't know what's funnier, Bundyaki or Mac Hansen with their pregame photos when they're, you know, announcing the lineups. Too funny. Rather than trying to describe it here, which would just not work, just go back and watch the lineup announcements at the start. You'll see what I mean. Those guys are freaking hysterical. So it was a dry night in Galway for a change. Speaking of Mac Hansen, holy crap is that dude good. What a genius acquisition he's been. As Birch put it, a real breath of fresh air for Connacht. On Off the Ball this week, one of the pundits, Riley, asked how long it would be before he leaves to join Leinster, and I think I just threw up in my mouth. Uh, So it's always a bit frustrating being a Connacht supporter, as you probably know. They're just always behind the eight ball, and in this one, they seemed completely dominant, and then you look up, and they're behind. Ugh. Yeah, so 3-5 to five was the uninspiring halftime score, and so much for your dry night. That was a thing of the past by this stage. 14 unanswered by the Ulstermen in the second half. Saw my hopes fading a bit. With under five minutes, they screwed up their own mall, giving away one of the only opportunities they had left. You know, bizarrely, they opted for a scrum in front and took every moment of their sweet time to get set. Just a bad play. I, so uh, Prendergast, then, he appeared to score, but as the comm said, why didn't Jack Cardi just take a drop call for the conversion so it couldn't be looked at? And yeah, good question. Of course, it was inevitably waved off. And when they did get it over, finally, they were down to just under a minute. Just so many mental errors. Past 84 minutes, Connick did smash one down. The comms crying, why did they wait till now to start playing? Yeah, no kidding. So it would be a conversion to try to escape with a draw, but... Cardi sent it wide. Presto. The inevitable was finally made real. 20 to 22. Yuck. So Christmas Eve had Benetton versus Zebre, the only URC match of that day. And despite the lovely setting there in Treviso and having Ryle Nugent on comms, I was on a plane half the day before settling in with the in-laws for the holiday, so I ended up skipping this one. Uh, Benetton were clear favorites, and much like last year... I do really hope Zebra get a win at some point, but doubted it would be this one. Sure enough, it was a bit of a blowout, Benetton winning at home 38-5. So then, of course, it was three Boxing Day derbies featuring Dragons versus Cardiff, or as I call them, the Drag versus the Diff. Okay, I'm sorry, I will never say that again, I promise. It was a close one for sure at Rodney Parade. Gareth Reese Owen, I believe it was, had a great stat. Dragons haven't won this fixture in 14 attempts. And Cardiff, in three of the last six victories, it's been by a single point, and another two were within four. Talk about a close thing. Predictably, however, Cardiff went ahead with a heartbreaking try with only seconds left. What a crusher. But, to be fair, what a match. Uh, 24-29 to 29 at the very end. Then it was Ospreys versus Scarlets. Uh, the, the comms proclaimed, it would be a tasty affair, much like my turkey yesterday, which sounded like I was doing their writing for them. <laughs> I ended up missing most of this one, I have to say, uh, but it kind of went the way I expected with Ospreys, the winners, even adding an insult to injury try after the clock had gone red. It was 34-13 to 13 in Swansea, and then finally, 
Munster versus Leinster rounded out the first half of this year's festive derbies. And Leinster's roster, they, they had 10 changes and afforded half a dozen internationals a bit of holiday rest, uh, though it was Andrew Porter's 100th appearance for the club, but I imagine Munster would be even more fired up over that one. So, of course, it was a tense, a tense affair, but close. But unfortunately, the audio and video lost their sync just, about, uh, out, uh, just after about 25 minutes. So what you were hearing was ahead of what you were seeing by a wide but unknowable margin, which, frankly, kind of ruined it. Powering through anyway, you know, it was Munster taking the lead by two tries to two pens early in the second half. The crowd absolutely tearing the non-existent uh, roof off Thoman Park. Entering the final quarter, the visitors held a 14-20 to 20 lead. But if the fans were scared, you wouldn't know it because there was just a real sense of expectation on the night. Munster struck back but couldn't tack on the extras. It's hard to imagine a more combustible moment than a one-point contest between these two historic rivals with five minutes left at the end of a long boxing day. Just so good. Uh, it was unusual because it felt like at that stage... To me, when I'm watching, Leinster looked like they were just hoping to sort of hold on rather than to actually continuing to attack. Seemed like a foolish ploy to me in these conditions. They looked like they were basically trying to finish out the last 30 seconds of a match, not a full five minutes. Just bizarre. However, luring Munster into giving away a penalty, they backed themselves and went for the corner. What an absolute cracker this one was. Munster managed to turn them over and had a scrum on their own doorstep with only seconds showing. But, boom. Simple knock-on would be their downfall, unable to get out of their own half and failing, uh, falling rather in a barn burner, 19-20 to 20, to perhaps, I mean, are they the best team on the planet at the moment? Simply incredible stuff. What a great weekend for the URC. So pivoting over to the Premiership, and for round 12, we were finally back to five matches per week, and this time it was two Friday fixtures with London Irish hosting Saracens and Newcastle taking on sale. The former turned to a bit of a weird one, red cards on both sides, and with Series somehow behind after 50 minutes, then, with only three minutes left, the Exiles, quote, seem to have found themselves, unquote, as the comps said, scoring an insurance try and sending the crowd into complete pandemonium as the final whistles came, and this, after being down to 12 players at one point, it was 29-20, to 20, the London Irish becoming the first Prem side to defeat the mighty Saracens this season. Holy cow! So in the clash of Falcons and Sharks, one of nature's oldest rivalries, we opened with a shot of the gushing rain. The comms reminding us that both sides were looking to, quote, turn a new leaf after sobering experiences last week, unquote. And I recalled that between these two teams, they had shipped 92 total points. Holy cow. Uh, quote, knees grazed. They're both hopping back onto the bike, unquote. They continued, perhaps belaboring it just a tad. Uh, the watery conditions seemed to, uh, better suited to the Sharks, shutting out the home team with 14 points at halftime, but the tides turned in the second 40 minutes. Newcastle building their first lead just after the three-quarter mark. Sale were, were unable to score a point the rest of the way. Newcastle got themselves a nice comeback home win, 20-14. to 14. Then there were two Christmas Eve games, starting with Exeter at home for Bath, which meant the stupid racist chant was out once again, so click! Uh, just so you know, Chiefs won again, 20 to 15. Uh, the other was, of course, Leicester versus Gloucester. The controversy from last week continues. So in case you somehow missed it, I guess if you were in a coma, there was a great deal of kvetching over Gloucester's squad selection for last week's encounter with Leinster. And understandably so, I suppose, this week 
George Skimmington kind of drew a line under the decision by going the opposite direction uh, with Tua Sui, the only selection who played last week. But instead of just saying, yeah, I knew we were going to lose to Leinster anyway, so I rested all my best players because with the new European format, we may be able to advance anyway. He's rather laid out a series of alternative excuses. This latest one was, well, because Wasps and Worcester folded, that caused schedule changes, which caused us to lose a bye week that we've been counting on. So we needed to rest everyone, and it's totally not our fault. Like, I seriously just don't get it. Just tell the truth, man. We all know what happened. And frankly, I have no problem with it. It's a flaw in the system. You used it to your competitive advantage. You're the head coach. That's your job. I don't know. Maybe I've been watching Belichick for too long. In any event, Gloucester have hastily added winger and fullback to their Christmas wish list as Luis Rezamit and Santiago Carreras both left the field after injuries. Come to think of it, they should probably ask for a few points as well, with the aforementioned Tua, uh, mentioned Tua Sui the only try scorer in the first half. The second half was all Tigers, however, and the comms again shook a finger at Gloucester for their squad selections last week, claiming that's why they were off the boil today, because those guys didn't play. I mean, can we just please drop it? So after the final buzzer, it was 28-13 to 13 for the reigning champs at Welford Road. Then, on Tuesday, it's going to be Harlequins versus Bristol. And this is going to be my little sort of midweek gift to myself during, during the next few days. Uh, though, to be fair, I would definitely put a lot of cash on the Quins. I mean, come on. So that takes us, of course, to the top 14. And somehow or other, we had a Thursday game, a rematch from last year's Challenge Cup final, pitting Toulon against Lyon. I found it really odd to see Dan Bigger out there for too long, but you know what? I'm happy to get used to it. He is just so much fun to watch. Gotta love him. Um, the Christmas band in the stands was out in full force. I love that so much. I simply must find my way to France for a game one of these days. Anyway, the game itself, however, not much of a contest. Too long. They were up 21 to 3 at the break. And by the way, did you see the weird thing in the second half? The ref spotted two reserves wearing the wrong shirts, uh, 20 wearing 21 and vice versa, and he literally stopped the action to make them change on the field to a rain of whistles and catcalls from the crowd. Just classic. In any event, that was all the action in the latter 40. No points, no nothing. Home side winning 21-3. to And by the way, the top 14, I just learned this, maybe this is embarrassing, but uh, four tries doesn't necessarily get you an automatic bonus point. You have to score three more tries than your opponent. And I think I actually like the math behind that better than the alternative. But definitely going to have to think about it. That was a new one. Anyway, Friday, the 23rd, it was Poe hosting uh, hosting Bayon. And this one was just action-packed from the start. The lead changing hands and keeping the crowd in a frenzy the whole way. Tied at 22 with a quarter hour left. And quel suspense was the call from the all-French comms. Uh, no more points were on offer, however, with Poe bouncing a game winner off the posts at the very end. Ugh, no good luck for them this year. Bayon, we're ecstatic to kick it into touch for a draw, 22-all. Next, of course, was La Rochelle versus Bordeaux-Begla. And I don't know, there seemed to be a global supply chain issue with points or something because they couldn't seem to get a hold of any. Uh, a single penalty was the entire first half total in favor of the home team. Uh, while, by the way, Luku, for the visitors, he would miss all four kicking attempts on the day. I mean, why was he even kicking at that point? The best thing was... At one point, he doinked one off the left post, only to regather himself and then ace a perfect drop goal. Too funny. But when Jalibert came in and you know took over all the kicking, 
Boom, different story. My border beagles would snag an elusive road wind at La Rochelle for the first time in the last six attempts, sneaking out a kind of boring 8-12 to victory against the privateers. Did I know they were the privateers before this match? No, I definitely did not. So Montpellier versus Perpignan had a very scary moment early on with a Perpignan player getting just knocked clean out. One of those, you know, jam your head right into someone and just don't get back up kind of moments. Just horrifying. The the grisly replays, by the way, seemed wholly unnecessary. By the way, it's not a TMO review, folks. It's a man being gravely hurt. Let's just chill a little bit with the constant replays, okay? In any event, Montpellier, they are absolutely stacked with talent, and it bore out pretty thoroughly in this one. Perpignan did get 10 points by the time the third quarter rolled around, but they were still down 16 points and two players at that stage. The writing was clearly on the wall. 38 to 10 would be the tally at the whistle. Then Brieve versus Claremont was next, and unfortunately, I don't have a single thing to tell you about this one, as the first 20 minutes or so of the replay was, inexplicably, Toulon versus Lyon from the previous day, and the rest was the La Rochelle versus Bordeaux match I just watched. Another bang-up job by Blow Rugby. Thanks, guys. In any event, your final score would end up 20-16 to in favor of the home side. Then... Toulouse versus Cast was our final fixture for Friday. And by the way, comms, it's enough already going on about these games being referred to as the Boxing Day derbies. We get it, okay? They're not on Boxing Day, but every single match, the comms felt compelled to say, well, this is another, well, in France, for whatever reason, well, they refer to them as the Boxing Day derbies, and yeah, that's what they call them. Not really sure why, but in France, that's what they like to say. Like, it's enough already. Until just a few years ago, they referred to the top, uh, the Pro 14 fixtures as the Christmas Derbies. I don't recall many matches being played on the 25th, on top of which they happened two weeks in a row. So, you know, let's all just take a breath, shall we? Anyway, just a quick refresher. Uh, Toulouse are still sitting way high atop the table with 40 points, five points clear of Racing. But between Racing and Lyon in eighth, there are only six points separating those teams. What a logjam. Cast, meanwhile are way down in 11th, so it was hard to see this one going their way. Oh, another side note slash follow-up and yet more rugby ridiculousness. So Thomas Ramos, of course, he was suspended for multiple incidents of foul play just last week, gathering a four-week ban for headbutting and a five-week ban for gouging. But in perfect form, the governing body decided he could serve those suspensions concurrently, meaning they effectively gave him a single five-week ban and said, yeah, that's fine. I mean, can we at least get Skivington to come up with, like, a fake excuse or something? Anyway, the game itself was a sloppy affair with the pitch, apparently ordinarily used for soccer, proving unreliable and super slippery for the players who looked like they were playing on ice. It was like a Bambi moment out there. It was a paltry 6-3 to three at halftime, and the comms kept calling, by the way, side note again, they kept calling Cyril by Cyril Bale, which totally cracked me up and still does. Uh, anyway, tied at 9, cast got yellow carded, then red carded. And, you know, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. By the end, a surprisingly un- uninspiring win for the home team, 22-18. to 18. Looks like it should have been really tight with that scoreline, but kind of a snoozer. Anyway, then it was Christmas Eve in Paris with Rassing, hosting stuff, I'll say, the number two versus the number three. What a treat. Right about the 12-minute mark, Finn slotted his 126th point of the season. And I've started sort of placing mental bets with myself over what that total will read by the end of this year. This was, of course, round 13, the halfway mark, I think exactly, so not including any playoffs, obviously, but that means your your starting over-under has to be around 250 or so, right? Anyway, a beautiful kick from Finn led almost accidentally to an end-of-half try, and it was 10-23 to headed to the lockers. The second half, though, 
got out of hand on several levels with some frankly dirty play by Rassing, including allegedly a bite, uh, which Matthew Reynal, he didn't really check it. He didn't seem too concerned about that. And then a flying punch to a man on the ground, which got them a yellow card. But despite that, Stad just crushed them thoroughly, getting a bonus point and a dog who's first try since the implosion of the Wasps. A statement win on the road, 10 to get this, 48. And afterwards, it was Yuan Imhoff saying of the home team's performance, I've never seen anything like that. It was a disgrace, and that's not us. Well, my friend, guess what? It is now. Well, by the music, you'll know it's time for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to Jory Segond. Monsieur Segond, you were flawless off the boot this weekend, accounting for 21 points, which was more than double your opponent's team total. Just a master class in kicking. Despite the turbulence all around you, you led your team to an absolute smackdown of a win on Christmas Eve, all while orchestrating your team's offense to a T. Jory Segond, brilliant and frankly massively underrated fly hat for Stade Francais. Congratulations to you, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award winner. Please enjoy all the accolades and, you know what, your Christmas goose as well. So that, of course, brings us to our updates and previews. In the top 14 next weekend, we'll have one match on the 30th, five on New Year's Eve, and then just the one on New Year's Day. They will be in order Bordeaux versus Montpellier, Bayonne versus Toulon, Cast versus Racing 92, Perpignan versus La Rochelle, Lyon versus Brive, Stade Francais versus Poe, and then Claremont versus Toulouse. Over in the Premiership, we'll have Sale versus Leicester on Friday. Bath versus Newcastle, Gloucester versus London Irish, and Saracens versus Exeter on Saturday, and then Northampton versus Harlequins on New Year's Day. And then in the URC, it's week two of the holiday derby. So good. With the Friday night game being the second installment of the 1872 Cup with Edinburgh welcoming Glasgow to the goddamn health. And then it'll be three New Year's Eve fixtures with Zebra hosting Benetton, Sharks hosting the Bulls, and Stormers versus Lions, followed by a full four New Year's Day matches being Cardiff versus Ospreys, Scarlets versus Dragons, Ulster versus Munster, and then again, kind of ending the whole thing with a, a whimper rather than a bang, a likely candidate for our SmackDown of the week, it'll be Leinster playing host to my Connacht. What a weekend. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. Tough week it's been for me. But just think, there are more derbies on offer next weekend to accompany your New Year's Eve plans. And I mean, let's face it, rugby has to be the best thing about the winter, right? All this and Six Nations practically right around the corner. How good is that? So as always, thanks again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Happy holidays. Talk to you soon. And of course, please be well. (laughs) 